It's a pleasure to be back again after a couple weeks away. Um, had the opportunity to get a week of vacation and a little getaway for my wife Natalie and I. We're very thankful for that. And then last Sunday, um, I was out in Glencoe with our Bethel Southwest congregation. And so uh, they bring you greetings um, in the Lord. It was wonderful to get to worship together with them. And uh, Josh did a fantastic job, didn't he? Um, opening up God's Word. Yeah, we're very blessed. Uh, he happens to be downstairs, but Josh Stanley's doing a fantastic job as our pastoral intern. And uh, he jokingly said, you know, I can't believe they let the intern get up here twice. But if you're going to train to be a pastor, guess what? You don't get to preach once every two, three months when you're a pastor. So a little back-to-back, throw him into the deep end, and he did a fantastic fantastic job there. So uh, we're going to be diving into God's Word, and uh, can I get the lights up there just so everybody can follow along? Grab your Bibles out, and we're in Acts chapter 5 today. Let me ask you this question. Does God scare you? Does God scare you? Does that seem like a strange question to ask? Would it seem even more strange if I were to suggest to you that your answer should be yes? We often will talk about the love of God. We'll sing songs about it. We'll talk about it. We reference the mercy of God and the, the, the kindness and grace of God. And all of those things are undoubtedly characteristics of our God, they come straight out of the scriptures. I came across an interesting little reference statistic when I was doing study for this week. There's a variety of words for love in the Bible. Maybe you know that. In the Bible, speaking of the love of God, the variety of those words used together to speak of God, that comes up 310 times in the scriptures, the love of God. Now, do you know how many times the phrase, the fear of God comes up? 300 times. 300 times. The Bible says the fear of God. For example, there's many places, but I'll give you a few from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want wisdom and knowledge? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord adds to the length of life. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, Proverbs 17:26. The fear of the Lord leads to life, Proverbs 19:23. Blessed is the man or woman who always fears the Lord. Proverbs 28 verse 14. Now, maybe you hear some of those or you hear the phrase the fear of the Lord and you very quickly move to like, well that just means reverence and awe. It, it, it just means having sort of a, it, when, when you hear fear of the Lord, it doesn't mean like fear, fear. It's not like afraid fear. It's like reverence fear. 
Now, that is certainly part of the reality of the fear of the Lord, but here's the problem if you want to argue for that. You come to texts like we are in today in God's perfect, pure, spotless word that does not allow you to squirm out from under this question so easily. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And if I were to put the message that we are going to hear in one sentence today, if I were to boil down the big idea for us today into one sentence, here is what it is. Humble yourself before God, for he is holy and to be feared. Humble yourself before God, for he is holy and to be feared. And let me say right at the outset, to be crystal clear, I come to this message in this text personally, just just deeply sober, humbled, broken. I am not standing up here today as one who, who is in you know, an ivory tower or standing behind a pulpit wagging my finger. I, I come to this text today raked over the coals in the best possible way, preaching this message first to me and then sharing out what God has just been doing a work on my heart in today. Humble yourself before God, for he is holy and to be feared. At the tail end of the chapter last week that we heard Josh open up, we saw this frankly like mind-blowing, Holy Spirit-inspired moment happen. It says in verse 36 and verse 37 of chapter 4, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostle's feet. This guy named Joseph is so moved by what the Spirit of God is doing in his life and seeing the brothers and sisters around him who are in need. And he, he is like, you know what? I'm literally going to go sell the farm and I'm going to give all the money to the apostles to help my brothers and sisters. It's this mind-blowing Holy Spirit-inspired generosity. And it, it inspired many, including this couple. Now, maybe the word inspired is not quite the right word. We read in chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together his, with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Just like Joseph Barnabas, they went, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, sell some of their land. They, they see Barnabas do this, and they're like, oh, 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 we could do this too. Except there's one major difference between Barnabas and this couple. See, Barnabas was moved profoundly by the Holy Spirit working in his life. The Holy Spirit was overflowing. Devotion was bounding out of Barnabas, which led him to do this. Ananias and Sapphira, though, very different story. 
They were oozing with pride. In fact, this is our first point coming out of the text. Pride oozes out of the human heart. Look with me at verse 2. With his wife, Ananias, with Ananias' wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostle's feet. Pride oozes from the human heart. If I were to say to you, which is the mightiest animal, the king of the jungle, who would you say? Who's the king of the jungle? The lion, right? The lion, a full-grown African male lion is ginormous. They, they grow to be bigger than eight feet long, over 400 pounds. But did you know that there is an animal? Not even if it grows to its biggest. doesn't even get to 20 pounds. That with one bite, it would stop the king of the jungle in his tracks. Now, they don't actually live in the same part of the world, so we'd never get to kind of see this battle. If you Google it, you won't get to find one. But the, the animal I'm talking about is the king cobra snake. The king cobra snake, with one bite, would stop the king of the jungle in its tracks. Now, the, the bite of a king cobra, it's, it's, not, it's not the strength of the bite, although I am sure I never want to experience how much strength is behind the jaw of a king cobra. But that's not the problem that is really the issue. The issue is when a cobra bites, it releases venom, right? It, when, a, when a king cobra releases its venom, at most, five milliliters, okay? We're not talking much. But with one release of venom, do you know, not only is it enough venom to stop a lion in its tracks, one bite's worth of venom of a king cobra is enough poison to kill 20 people. It could literally kill an elephant. It's less than 20 pounds, and it could kill an animal more than five hundred times its size. And you might think, well, it's just pretty small. It's only like 20 pounds. Well, it just hides away. You, you will never even really see it. It's just off in the shadows, camouflage. Can't really be that big of a deal, can it? Can it? You want to run into a king cobra on your way home? Can it? We might think pride's not that big of a deal. We might think pride is hidden off and no one will really see it. But, oh, dear friends, pride is more deadly than even the venom of a king cobra. And pride oozes out of the human heart. 
We see here in our text at least three different ways that pride oozes out of the heart of Ananias and Sapphira that I want to point out to you. And, and I wonder, I wonder as I go through this, if you would not just sit and look down your nose at this couple, but I wonder if you might slow down enough to consider is this oozing out of your heart at all like them? Here's the first way I would suggest to you pride is oozing out. See, a proud heart craves earthly recognition. A proud heart craves earthly recognition. Word about Barnabas spread around. Everyone was talking about him. Can you believe what Barnabas did? I can't believe he sold the whole farm. This is incredible. This is amazing. Wow, this is, this is awesome. And seemingly, word spread about this incredible act that Barnabas did. And this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, start to have these thoughts to be like, what's the big deal about Joseph? It's not really that big of a deal to sell your farm. We could sell our farm. We could do the same thing too. What's the big deal about what Barnabas did? Why isn't anybody noticing us? Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had that experience in your own life? You ever, you ever been at work and seen that person who got there after you get the promotion before you, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is no one noticing me for the raise? How did they jump the line? Ever had that happen? Ever, ever have that, that brother or sister who's a part of your family where everyone else in the family seems to think like they could do no wrong and they are the perfect child and, and no one ever notices you and you go to all the family gatherings and you're kind of like, why doesn't anyone ever notice me? Ever had that happen? Hey, have you ever come to church And seeing someone up on stage or on a screen and their story's getting told, a testimony's getting given. Or they get asked to do this new ministry leadership position or they're a part of whatever and the thought starts to go through your head, hey, they're not such a big deal. That story's not really that impressive. Why did they get asked to do that? Why didn't, if, if I would do a way better job than they would. Ever had those thoughts pop into your head? You know what those are, right? It's pride. Oh, it's, it's just a small little thing. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's just sort of hiding over here. I don't ever actually say that out loud. It's in the shadows over here, just playing around in my mind, but I don't ever let it out. It's no big deal. There's no harm in that. A proud heart craves earthly recognition. That's what we see coming out of Ananias and Sapphira's heart here. That's why they do this. Right after Barnabas sells the land, then another couple sells their land. We can do what Barnabas did. He doesn't need to get all the praise. What about us? We also see a proud heart clings to control. At some level here, 
I think we have to surmise that they kept back part of the money. So, like, let's just imagine here. They, they, we don't have any numbers in the text, but, but let's say they sold their property for, like, 500000 bucks. They went and gave $300,000, but then they kept back two hundred k for themselves, okay? Just for some, like, round numbers. Just. We have to surmise at some level here that some of the thought going through Ananias and Sapphira's head was, I don't know if God can really look after us. I mean, if, if we give all of that money, then what are we going to do for our retirement, honey? Who's going to pay for our kids to go to school? What's going to happen if I lose my job next week? I mean, don't you even start to maybe potentially hear a little bit of the justification going around in their heads, in the conversation, where they also almost start to be like, you know what, it's just being a good steward of the money that God has given to us. It's just saving a little bit for a rainy day. It's not being presumptuous. It's just in case. But you know what's really going on underneath all of that? They're doubting the provision of God. They're doubting the goodness of God. They're doubting the sufficiency of God. They're saying, I am more trustworthy than God to look after me if something comes up next year. So I've got to be in control. That's what they're saying. Underneath the surface. Oh, that seems really small. Oh, it seems like it's in the shadows. Oh, yeah? Okay. That's what pride does. Have you ever found yourself in a spot like that, friend? Have you ever said, God, I'll I'll trust you, but I'm only going to go this far. Here's the line. So I I will give to you, God. I will give to you. But, but not beyond this much because I need to make sure that my RSPs are still looked after. God, God I will serve you. Sure, I'll, I'll serve you a little bit. Like, I'll go and be a part of, fill in the blank of your favorite ministry here at the church, okay? I'll serve you with the kids downstairs. I'll open a door on Sunday morning with the welcome team. I'll serve you in leading a small group. All wonderful things, but that's my line, God. I hear about these opportunities to go around the world and help people learn about Jesus on a mission trip. No, 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 no. That's too much. Do you have a line like that? Do do you ever hear the nudging of God saying, I've got something more for the rest of your life? And you're like, suppress, suppress, suppress. Isn't what I'm doing now enough? Haven't I sacrificed enough? Surely we can stay in the house we're in. Surely I can keep the job I have. Surely, I mean, if you were calling me to go into full-time ministry, for example, that would be a waste of my degree. And I spent a whole bunch of time on my degree. That would not allow me to be able to provide for my family when I retire. How are we going to survive? I'm too old for that. That was a previous season in my life where I could have done that, but that's past now. Ever found yourself saying any of these things out loud or in the shadows of your own mind? Pride clings to control. 
I need to be in control. I need to have the answer. I need to be the one to look out for this because I'm the one who knows best for my future. That's what pride is really saying in the shadows. Third here, I would suggest to you that we see pride oozing out of Ananias and Sapphira's heart as they cast aside God's holiness. They had no fear of God. Ananias thought they could just they could just get away with this and God wouldn't even notice or or God wasn't powerful enough. Sure, I know we are keeping $200,000 for ourselves and giving 300,000 but saying that's everything we spent. That's all the money we got. But like nobody knows, no one else knows. It's just Sapphira and I. God can't do anything. God doesn't really care. God well or maybe he cares but he's not really able to do anything. They lost all fear. They cast aside all fear, all reverence, all respect to the holiness and power of God. Have you ever found yourself in the spot where you come to church and you fake it? You sing the songs. You put the smiling face on. You do all the motions for everybody in this room, but without any care for God. You ever had yourself do that? Because your heart's in a totally different spot, and you're kind of like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. I can just get away with doing that. Let me ask this question. Have you ever come to the communion table? Having just lived a whole week knowingly, diligently running in rebellion to God. I know you told me to do. I know you called me to live. I know you want me to fill in the blank. You lived a whole week in rejection to God, and then you walk forward because everyone else is walking forward. Take the communion cup. Say you're giving thanks for Jesus dying for you, his body being broken for you, his blood being poured out for you, fully knowing when you walk out of this building, you're going to continue on with it next week. You ever done that? And you think, wow, what's the big deal? No one knows. It's not that big of a sin. It's off in the shadows, not really hurting anyone. Ever found yourself casting aside God's holiness like that? See, here's here's what I found as I really started reflecting on this passage and why I said at the beginning I find myself so sobered by this. I stand up here saying, yep, yep, yep to every one of those. Pride just so easily oozes out of my heart. I hate it, but it's true. just oozes out of our hearts. And and I want to say, oh, it's just a small little thing. It's only 20 pounds. It's not that big. 
Oh, it's just in the shadows. You can't really see it. There's not that much harm to it. But what we're going to see, friends, as this story continues, is this doesn't go well for this couple. This doesn't go well for this couple. Because pride is more deadly than a king cobra, friends. Why doesn't it go well for this next couple? It leads us into our second point. Second observation from this text. God in His holiness hates pride. God in His holiness hates pride. Verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Ananias, in his pride, walks into the room, and here's what's going through his head. All right, everybody, get the choir ready for the parade of praise. What's my name going to be? You renamed Joseph and gave him the name Barnabas. Here's my 300K. Praise, praise. And Peter, miraculously, by the Holy Spirit's leading, knows exactly what's really going on. Notice here how it says in verse 3, all the way along, if you've been journeying with us in this, this journey so far, the first four chapters, we've heard repeatedly over and over and over again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled them. They gathered together to pray, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice what it says about Ananias in verse 3. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? The stark contrast here between the working of the Spirit of God and Satan overtaking this man's heart. We've seen the Holy Spirit come and fill people at Pentecost. We've seen them gather together and pray, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with boldness. Here, though, Ananias was filled with Satan because pride is directly from the devil. Pride spews out of our sin-poisoned flesh, and pride picks a fight with God. Ananias could have sold his $500,000 property and brought $300,000 and said, here's two-thirds of the price of the sale, and it would have been amazing, right? I mean, a $300,000 donation at church is a pretty big deal, and that's pretty fantastic. 
The problem is not that he came and, and only brought $300,000. That's not the issue of the text. The problem is he said, I only sold it for 300000 Give me all the praise as if I just did what Barnabas just did. That's the problem of this text. Didn't it, verse 4 say, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Peter is like, nobody forced you to say, you have to give this much. No one was looking over your shoulder being like, oh, you didn't give enough of the sale. This was entirely in Ananias and Sapphira's wheelhouse to decide what they wanted to give. It was their money. It was at their disposal to decide how much do you want to give? How much are you going to give to the church? Why would you have come up with this? Evil thing. Why would pride so overtake your heart, Ananias? And on the spot, Ananias stood. God struck him dead. He killed him on the spot. And notice, verse 5, great fear seized all who heard what had happened. God, in his holiness, hates pride. I use every word in that sentence very carefully and intentionally. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We want to be like, oh, pride is no big deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's just this small little thing. It's just like, it's just 20 pounds over here. I mean, I mean, I know I've got a control problem and I might be a control freak, but who isn't a control freak? Ha, 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 ha. I, I, I know God tells me that I shouldn't be in this relationship right now, but, but we're in love, so what's the problem? I know God calls me to do this. I know he sees. I know when I come and sing these songs, I'm faking it. But what's the big deal? I'm not really hurting anyone with what I'm going to go dive back into, look at, be around, immerse myself in next week. It's not that big of a deal. I gave $300,000. What's the problem? Isn't that amazing? How could you possibly say there's something wrong with giving 300 grand? God hates pride. Pride is from the devil. It spews out of our sin-poisoned hearts and it is picking a fight with God. That's what it's doing. Now we put all this like lovely language on it as if it's not really that bad, but that's the reality of what 
pride really is going on inside of us. Our story continues in verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Sapphira shows up. Maybe she was running some errands this morning. I don't know. Maybe she was like intentionally late, you know? Make a grand entrance because she's now expecting everybody has heard about how much money we sold this for and how they're praising us and they have given my dear husband a new name. And so she walks in, oh, what's my name? Who's going to praise me? And Peter looks at her. Tell me, Sapphira, is this the price you and Ananias got for your land? Again, we don't know the number, but like, did you get 300000 for it? Oh, yeah. Yep, exactly. And we gave you the whole 300000 Mm-hmm. Peter said to her, verse 9, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. In an instant again, God struck this woman dead. And then again in verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Everyone inside and outside of the church who heard this was shaken, shaken to the core by the reality of God's immediate holy presence striking people dead. Now let me ask you in this moment, do you think when it says the fear of God there in those two moments, if you enter into this text and envision this, okay? Imagine we're sitting right here. It's church. We're all sitting here together. We're singing some songs. And then one brother comes in and we all see him struck dead right here. And the youth group carry him out the door. The church service goes on for a while. And then his wife walks in. She goes up on stage. And we all watch her get struck dead. Do you think in that moment when it says the fear of God, they just mean, oh, reverence and respect. Hmm, very nice. Do you think that's what that means? Don't you think this is like literally OMG? on your face, in fear, terror, what is going on in this moment? Fear? Don't you think that's what that actually means? That's what I think this means. This is heavy. This is like, shake you up. And some of you at this moment are like, Alan, you're talking crazy talk. You can't talk like this anymore. You can't preach about this stuff. I thought, I mean, we hear you say all the time about how we are to, to show the love of God. 
We are to show the kindness of God. We are to be bringing the hope of God to the community around us. We are to be a lighthouse and a beacon to people who are hurting. And how you, you, can't, you can't talk about the fear of God and him striking people dead. That, that, this is like you're speaking out of too, you had too much time off, Alan. Now, I, I sincerely understand that logic. Honestly, I sincerely, all joking aside, I sincerely understand that logic. How is it that you can say, spread the love of God and hear a message like this? I get it. It seems like it's in contradiction, but let's keep reading the story. Because the craziest thing happens next. The craziest thing happens in the very next verse, here, here's our third and final heading. See, God not only in his holiness hates pride. What we are going to see is at the exact same time, God in his holiness heals the humble. Look with me, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else ever dared join them, even though they held people highly, sorry, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Look at this next verse, though. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Wait a minute. I, how, how is that? How? how? They feared them, and yet people were flocking to find what these people had. There's this crazy dual reality going on. On the one hand, the power and presence of God is leaving people shaken to their core. And at the same time, the crowds are flocking to them in this moment. As a result, verse 15 continues, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. See, here's what's going on. The same power, the same holiness that destroys sin it draws in the sick. The same power and the same holiness that confronts evil comforts the broken. The same power and the same holiness that rejects hypocrisy releases the heavy laden. The power of God that instantaneously confronts Ananias and Sapphira is the same power of God that sets the most broken free. Heals the most lost. There is all kinds of healing going on. Some of it's physical healing, but there is also spiritual healing for all of eternity where people are getting saved and coming to Jesus and their eternity is being changed forever. People are flocking to this from the towns around and from the whole city. As Peter walks through the streets and the other apostles walk through the streets, there's literally just lined with people who are like, I need what you've got. 
The holiness and fear of God, hear this, the holiness and fear of God does not push people away, at least not the people who really know they need God. The holiness and fear of God draws them in. See, the holiness and fear of God leads people to who really know they need God to say, I need a God who is bigger than my biggest problem. I need a God who is wiser than me. I need a God who is stronger than my strongest addiction. I need a God who is so pure that he can burn off all the filth that has saturated my soul. I need a God who is so mighty that he can heal the deepest wound that no one else can heal. I need a God who can literally conquer death and the grave. I need a holy God. And if you are here and you're like, man, I realize how totally inadequate I am and how totally insufficient I am and how far short I have fallen and how hopeless my actual reality is. I have amazing news for you today. There is a God who is big enough and bigger, holy enough and holier that he can heal every broken part of you. That's the good news of the holiness of God, friends. And this leads us to one final question or dilemma, though. If, if you've been tracking with me, okay, if you've been staying awake and you're following the logic I've been unpacking from the text, there has to be this question in your mind. Why haven't I been struck dead? Honestly, if you are actually getting what I'm saying, that question should be a major problem in your mind. I know it is for me because I find myself exactly where Ananias and Sapphira are. I find pride oozing out of my heart in all kinds of ways. So how is it that a holy God who hates sin has not just wiped me off the face of this planet? How is it that I am not utterly hopeless in this moment? How is it that I have not gotten exactly what I deserve? Here's the answer. The same God who in his holiness hates sin is the same God who in his holiness heals the humble by in his holiness sending his son. He sent his son for you. He sent his son for you and I. I love what Romans 2 says. I love this verse, Romans 2, verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Do you know why I haven't gotten what I deserve? Because God patiently is like, oh, Alan, I am long suffering with you that you might repent. I'm giving you a chance to run back to me. Oh, dear friend, why have you not gotten what you deserve? Because 
Oh, do not presume upon the kindness of God. Do not take it to be, oh, it must just be fine. Oh, it must not be a big deal the way I'm living. Oh, God must not really have the power to deal with what's really going on. He must just be, oh, I must have pulled one over on him. Do not take his kindness and his patience right now upon your life as a license, as if you are fine to just keep living. It is given to you so that you might repent. And it is given only for so long. You do not know how long you have. I I literally just two days ago was doing the funeral for my wife's grandmother. The last time we saw her healthy was last Thanksgiving. And we thought, oh, it'll all be fine. She and my father-in-law and my father-in-law's fiance moved to Saskatchewan. They went to the dentist my, my fa- stepmother-in-law, I guess you call it, and my grandmother-in-law. They went to the dentist. And I'm not joking, it killed both of them. They messed up the medication. My stepmother had a heart attack in a couple days and was dead. A couple weeks later, my grandmother who had ongoing heart problems, it just overtook her and we did the funeral just on Friday from going to the dentist. You th- when you, I sure pray I don't like the dentist in general. Now the dentist is a little harder. I mean no offense to any dentists or dental hygienists that are part of our congregation. I love you. I love you and I'm so thankful for how you make my teeth. But you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. We th- you think you got tomorrow. I think I've got tomorrow. You never know what tomorrow's got to bring. God in his kindness is extending patience with you. Do not presume that he is doing that on and on and on. You never know what tomorrow will bring. We never would have thought last Thanksgiving was the last time we were going to all get together. Never. God in his holiness sent his son. The power that dealt with the wretched sin of Ananias and Sapphira was the same power that struck Jesus on the cross. The punishment that they got for their sin, that you and I deserve for our sin, it was hung on Jesus when he hung on the cross. The power that instantly struck sin down instantly raised Jesus from the dead. That is how the humble can find hope. Because of what Jesus did. That is how the sick can flee to the Lord and be saved. That is how those in captivity can run to God and have their chains torn off because God in His holiness delivered His Son for us. So does God scare you? I mean, you might say that's a complicated answer. Okay. But friends, the response to our text isn't complicated. It's really quite simple. Humble yourself and run to the hands of the healing God.